Greetings, Asymmetry listeners. How y'all doing from a very golden fall-colored Mirai? Uh, we recently returned from another trip to Puglia. David Naus from Apical uh, Ag Solutions joined me in the journey, and we have been diligently working to take all of these pieces of the nutritional component that we've been practicing at Mirai to see if we could apply them to this issue of Xylella fastidiosa completely overwhelming the olives of the Puglian Peninsula. And the trip was beyond expectation in terms of successful uh, and productive, but man, also a real reality check as to the scale and scope of the issues and conditions that the ancient trees of earth are facing uh, in the current condition and situation that we're in. Uh, this is a really, really fantastic time to understand more of how David and Apical works beyond what you've already heard in previous podcasts. And it's also a really pivotal time to get involved as we start to find solutions potentially to the Xylella issue to help us roll out and implement the nutritional adjustments that very well could save these ancient trees. Go to bonesimerai.com in the upper right-hand corner, click on the donate button to learn more and contribute to our Give Lively campaign that's supporting the continued scientific exploration and quest for solutions to save the Puglian olives. Sit back, relax, and enjoy, everybody. David Naus. It's been an evolution over the years, but still. I mean, how 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 close to having processes in place are you, or do you feel you, you know, are? Well, I mean, it's just a degree to which that that process is eased. I mean, you feel it, right? You understand what, what it is, what it's like. I know what it's, yeah. I mean, it's tough to build the sort of systems that allow mm -hmm. you to scale, right? It is, and that yeah. And like Apical is significantly dependent on on you, specifically For sure. For you, sure. as, yeah. as Mariah is dependent on me. Yeah, yeah. Right? The... I mean, I think it's, you know, as the process has become more refined, I think that that makes it easier to scale, but that's not an easy process. No, it's like utterly painful. The last 10% that actually makes it efficient takes longer than the first 90 that brings it to yeah. the p possible potential, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That last little like streamlining of things that makes it, it's like that's the minutia that I really... Yeah, it's like I can, I can rattle off. I can look at that test and rattle it off just like that. What do you need to do? Mm -hmm. Right. And that rec will show plant performance. But does that, you know, how do you make that so that that, that system is infallible and doesn't need me? Right. Doesn't need, you know, you can program that kind of. But then there's that, you know, there's that chance you really you know, just nuke a juniper or something. Yeah. Nuka, Nuka, world class bonsai, <laughs> or anything. Well, right? I, I really anything, my whole field of blueberries, uh, whatever. Yeah, sure, you know, sure, whatever the application stuff. is. <laughs> I, I really marvel at your knowledge, not only of like, because you're talking about inside of the plant, these different mineral readings of calcium, phosphorus, you know, and all of the traces and everything, and then the products that treat it how those coincide and dovetail together is a whole nother layer. Right. And so you knowing, okay, well, this is what's in the plant, and then this is how you attack it from the roots, from the foliar mass with these different things. But this one doesn't work with this one, so then we'll do this one, and that will bring this down. But then this will – it's like <laughs> – it's a pretty – I would say it's a pretty uncomputable uh, system that you have. Like it, it pulls on too many – pieces of experience and knowledge, right? Like, I don't even know how you could ever train somebody to do what you do. Yeah, it's not easy. There's really, I mean, I think that on the soils, that's there's a bit more of a process that we're tr actually trying to make computational mm -hmm. um, that I think is starting to work, mm -hmm. actually, believe it or not. Uh, um, but the leaf, there's too much there. Um, there's a lot of nuance. Um, there's different types of application strategies that people are doing, um, and that changes the concentration rates and mm -hmm. the compatibilities at those concentration rates, and and yeah, the whole thing gets gets really convoluted. I think what you mentioned though is really, you know, to your point about you know ha adding that whole other layer from like knowing what an analysis means to actually getting the job done and making yeah. the plant move. I've always done that just like kind of intuitively, but the more I take a step back and like you know, the business, well, more, the more the business in, interacts with the, you know, <laughs> the customer base, mm -hmm. it's, it's becomes more and more obvious that that's a full 
piece in itself, right? right? So, but in taking it even one step further, it's like there's a piece in the recommendation, but then there's a piece in the product selection too. And each one of those are they're two distinct steps, mm -hmm. right? Versus where uh, most labs would do two step process analysis and right to products instead of a four step process analysis or you know the the lab analysis the data the data piece of it where the data is actually looked at and processed then then the recommendation then the products it's actually technically four steps mm -hmm. um, yeah. so do you so do you take the products and 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 then rigorously test them to know the application rates that are going to move the needle for any and how do you how do you know that one product not only changes say it's designed nutrient content for example let's just say calsilicate max calcil uh you know raises calcium of a certain type inside of the plant mm -hmm. uh and it also the silicate uh detoxes the plant primarily of aluminum or metals i'm assuming manganese yeah sodium sodium, sodium okay. metals yeah generally uh, okay mm -hmm. like but but one of the revolutionary breakthroughs i had is when i'm like you're recommending superfos but like you're not recommending as much calcium and it's super calcium deficient you're like well go look <laughs> at superfos it's got like as much calcium yeah. in it as as a dose of calking does and i was just like oh shit this whole time <laughs> this whole time i had no i had no right. idea that like the phosphorus was coming with the calcium. I also like started thinking about just like what we've talked about with some products, their mixtures changing over time and things being added that weren't in there before. And you've got to keep right, track. Right, you've right. got you've got to keep a pulse on. And I'm I'm sure it's something that intuitively happens because you're working with it all the time. But but how do you how do you like take a new product and then run it through the grinder? to know how it's going to interact and whether you wreck it or not? Or do you recommend it to people that you say, we're testing this out and you know you're going to get samples back that are going to show its efficacy? I don't know. Yeah, there's some there's some degree of that. Like we do give away, um, you know, new products as they're coming out. Like, hey, um, and we preface it like, hey, this is something new that we're trialing. Do you want to, do you want to trial it? Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys will say, yeah, well, what's the deal? Like, can I get, you know, some free product or something like that? And it's like, sure, yeah, you can in that situation. And so then, you know, they're, kind of a willing, a willing guinea pig in that situation. But, but, um, but that's usually like the third or fourth step in the process. So like the first step is, you know, either we come up with a formula that we're, you know, helping to actually formulate, which is pr the preferred protocol. But sometimes people bring new things to the, you know, obviously to us and they say, Hey, check out what we're doing. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's the basic, you know, BS test, which, you know, I can look at a product and with a reasonable degree of confidence, we'll call it 50 to 60% say this is going to be a good or not. And mm -hmm. so there's, so there's 50% of the products that don't even make it a, you know, don't even make it, you know, through the door basically typically, you know, and then there's the next 30% or so that, that then, um, you know, for one reason or another won't work, whether it's shelf life, you know, just the thing just reeks and, or is like too, you know, too, um, um, you know, it's just not usable from one for one reason or another. Delicate, cumbersome, yeah, something yeah, like that. It spoils easily, or doesn't ship well, or doesn't work at high at high altitudes, or uh -huh. you know, it has to have like certain basic criteria. Like, it has to be somewhat degree stable. It's not going to have to explode on us if it comes into a you know 100 degree warehouse or something like right. that. Like. You know, FedEx, all these guys, like we've been through the ringer where we've had things explode and it's not, not fun. So, <laughs> so, um, so, so that's kind of the, the, the second piece that, and that gets rid of maybe, you know, half of that bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's a third piece where we start running it through the lab, um, and do mineralogy on it. And so we look at mineral, you know, levels and ratios of what's in the, uh, of what's in the product. Um, and a lot of things, a lot of products fail at that stage. And then if that goes okay, then we go to the next stage and that's um, just basic, you know, sort of backyard or in-house field trials, either like myself or like a close friend or somebody in the, in the office or like that works for us, you know, just kind of testing it in their backyard um, sort of thing. If it, if it makes it past that stage, then it goes to either regular field trial where that's paid um, or B, like you mentioned, somebody that's doing a, um, you know, just doing a a one-off sort of field trial where they're okay yeah we'll test this and see see what it does and we'll mm -hmm. show 
show visual response before and after. Maybe we sponsor a leaf test before and after so that we can see, you know, did it move calcium or whatever the, right. the situation might be. So um, that's that's the basic initial process. But then, then once that's done, then it's, okay, well, you know, follow-ups like, okay, so did, you know, did it clog the nozzles? Did it run through the drip? Okay, were there any problems with mixing? Was there any antagonisms with the other products? How well did it go into solution? Did you run it in a, in a helicopter or foliar sprayer, uh, a, you know, um, a pit center pivot or, you know, whatever, like people are putting it through a bunch of different types of applications. And we'll learn things over time like, oh, well, this, you know, soft rock has to maintain, you know, constant agitation, right? Like that's that's a very common one. Um, and so that we kind of put that into the checkbox, like, Hmm, like one day it might be nice to have a soft rock that didn't require constant agitation. Right. And like, think about, you know, how do we make that improvement? So we go make mental notes of how we can constantly improve the the product lines. But anyway, that's, that's the basic, um, process and it takes, you know, about a year to 18 months to really get through. And then we yeah. look at certification and registration and labeling and, you know, how does this going to, you know, fit within the rest of the product offerings and, so forth. So yeah, it's, it's kind of evolved over the years. Um, it's gotten, uh, harder and harder to get, you know, to be a part of our, of our toolkit. Um, mm -hmm. but, and, and I think that's good, right? So like we have to have things that are going to move the needle that, that do have a, uh, have a good value to the, to the grower, um, that, that, that present, prevent, uh, or present maximum versatility so that we can use that across, you know, multiple different situations. Right. Um, you know, and then is there a way to improve this product? Like we're constantly looking to, you know, sort of like I mentioned a second ago, we're constantly looking for that next next layer of improvement because um, you know until we're as good as nature, um, yeah, you're always working. Be chase, <laughs> you'll be chasing that dragon for a long time. That's okay, right? I mean, it's a life's work, <laughs> right? So uh, that's uh, you know at least you know at least I'm in the game. <laughs> Do companies a lot of come people to that you? Aren't. Do companies come to you? Do they bring you? Oh yeah, all the time. Like yeah, at least one a day probably. With new product. Mm -hmm. yeah, at least yeah. you don't have to look. No. Well, I mean, there's, you know, this is the, some of the better stuff that I've found has, I have had to go out and, and find. Yeah. It's really interesting to be at this juncture with you because I'm just thinking about like your ability to be able to dissect something on such a micro scale as a bonsai. And then you and I were just in Puglia together looking at, what in my mind is <clears throat> is utterly intimidating scale of such a large <laughs> massive disaster footprint yeah. agronomical right like major conundrum right and like i i continue to i guess you know in thinking that the Pulian olives can be saved assume that there are people that are comfortable functioning on that scale and i know that you handle massive growing operations but like what was your impression of the scale of in the issues in Puglia like just you got thrown in very quickly <laughs> with very little sleep and like you just I just watched you like slip into the pocket of like David Naus, uh, you know, That's how I roll, man. <laughs> it was pretty impressive. It yeah. was really impressive yeah, actually. Thanks, I appreciate that. Um so well, I you know, I do this a lot, right? That's, that's what I do. I go around and I, and I work with growers in a variety of situations on different scales. Um, you know, everything from horticulture clear up to some of the largest growers on the West coast here in the U S and, and, um, and so those types of meetings are, you know, they've, they've become a lot more routine over the years. Um, they're always challenging. There's always, there's always big challenges in these operations and, and, like you said, like it can be pretty intimidating, um, mm -hmm. and and the scale of this this situation there is a little intimidating, frankly. Um, uh, I've seen similar problems, you know, on any given block that we looked at, yeah. right? But when you look at the macro scale of like the devastation, that was a little bit staggering yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, one thing that that did cross my mind is, you know, you know, it's a warning to a lot of other people to not let that happen there in other situations. So like, I mean, you know, like we discussed when I was over there, uh, it does remind me a lot of Florida, but in Florida, the difference is that the, that the groves are spread out. They're not all like right next to each other. And so uh, 
I think that it's taken, you know, a little bit more time in Florida to kind of spread throughout the, the state. This is the citrus screening yeah, yeah, issue the citrus that you're talking about. And, that, yeah. and the citrus screening issue you, you see being closely related to the xylella issue just yeah, in terms of... Yeah, it's a very similar thing. Yeah, it's the same 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 type of uh, same type of pathogen transmitted by the same type of insect. They're just different subspecies and variants mm. okay. upon those. And that was the one thing that I learned that I wasn't super aware of going over there was that there is... You know, there's there's the xylella, but then there's the subvariant of xylella that's been uh, that started to accelerate the disease in the last eighteen months or what have you, right? Um, or accelerates the the, the decline, the decline, phase. rapid rapid decline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that so that piece, um, I I think I kind of read one or two papers before I went over there, but I didn't it didn't quite click in my brain that that's actually what we were going to see because. You know, like you mentioned, you were over there in January and uh, a year ago or ish almost, and it wasn't as big of a deal. Like it was a big deal, but like they weren't like just the level of panic somehow had increased or something like that. Well, we were in the buffer zone mm -hmm. in Ostuni, and like it was contained. That was the like, okay, it's wiped out. A you know, pretty much from Ostuni basically 20 kilometers southeast of Ostuni all the way to the southern tip of Leuka. Yeah. It had pretty much wiped everything out, right? But, like, it had stopped there, and everybody's like, okay, maybe it's stopping, maybe it's <laughs> over. And then not only, not only did it not stop, it just yeah. full-on started wrecking trees that we, as a team, 10 months ago saw, and there were no visual signs of xylella, yeah. And jumped over the top of it, and then just kept moving towards Maybe it's Bari. Stay in Wuhan. <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And it's just like, oh, and I think I, probably for everybody that's when we were there at the Mazaria that we were staying at, they were so hopeful that their organic farming methodology was going to stop the or, or prevent the pathogen, mm -hmm. and you know. To whatever degree, I think the big question we had when we were there is: is there a is there a difference in behavior between um, because there are massive differences in mentality and behavior in very short geographical regions in Italy, just based right. on sort of the history and nature of the Italian culture? Is this a the southern tip is more like pro chemical, pro like big ag approach, and like the central and northern portion are a little bit more organic? You know, like. Is there, is there something yeah. like that that's containing it? Because there's no geographical barrier. There's no topographical barrier. Mm -hmm. So like what created the buffer zone? What created the massive devastation zone? And what created the safe zone up around Bari? But it didn't matter because over the course of this year, there is no safe zone now. Right. Everything is is has now been yeah, hit. Under threat. Yeah, yeah, is under threat. Right, yeah. So um, yeah, I mean that the scale is just, it's pretty remarkable and the spread is, is, is significantly, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy really to, mm -hmm. to think about like what has happened and what could happen and what is happening. And the fact that there haven't really been a lot of really strong proposals to date other than grafting, right? Like the grafting works to a degree, <sighs> well, there's been a but tremendous there's a lot number. of challenge in the price and yeah. And 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 so forth. And, and for how long, right? Yeah, like resistant yeah. varieties for how long? If the continual horticulture or the agronomical conundrum of toxicities continues to amass, you're going to surpass the resistance of a resistant variety at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, I think that the that those genetics are just less susceptible, right? Mm -hmm. And and maybe they they're 100 percent less susceptible to this specific pathogen right now. But maybe the environmental factors change slightly in, in within a number of years, and that changes the outcome. So, you know, as far as, you know, what caused it there to start and why does it, has it not moved, but then why did it move now? Mm -hmm. And all these are other sorts of questions. Like, I definitely can't answer that until we start digging in under the hood a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of analysis and stuff. Like, it was really interesting going to the lab there, um, uh, you know, at the, uh, at the research station that we, that we visited. Right. Um, you know, it, I think there's, you know, laboratory technology is, is pretty key to everything that we do, as you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're one of only a handful of labs in the world that have really specialized in this, in the, you know, in the leaf sap protocols and they're not doing that there. And so that's, 
you know, it, there could be things that show up in their blind spot that they're not that they're not aware of. Yeah. Um, I, and without really getting too deep in the weeds in terms of like what they're doing with the lab protocols, it just seems that, you know, oftentimes the governments and some of these other places, like they're not, um, you know, industry typically outpaces government, right? It, mm -hmm. it can move, it's more agile, it can move a little differently. And the ag industry has really moved on from some of the the methods that were being done back in the 70s and so on. And, and you know, if you, if you don't update those, I think there's there's some challenges that can come from that. Mm -hmm. and, and I would, so, you know, his first thing that we chat, that we chatted about when we went there is like, we looked at the lab, right? And, and um, I think that there's, some opportunities to, you know, to help them, you know, maybe work on some different protocols there or, you know, I mean, if they can get, you know, if they can get samples over to us, you know, I don't know if that's possible, but that would be a really, um, that would speed up the process for yeah. sure. You know, we are allowed to import, um, from Italy, like we've kind of, like we've discussed. Yeah. Um, but I know that there's, that there's a lot of quarantines and different things like that. Going so many, there. so many complexities to being able to actually do what you do at the level that would give the information that would allow you to pinpoint exactly what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I think regardless of that, you know, there's, there's just broad skirt generalities that I can make. And that's, you know, as we know, we've talked about this before, like all these susceptibilities are carbon deficiencies, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the plant, when it can access appropriate levels of carbon can, can create its own defense molecules and sufficient levels and substance, right? It's, that's, it's a known in science. People, you know, all science really agrees on this, all the trees. That's why we don't have, you know, complete devastation in the wild areas today, right? Every day, all day long. Mm -hmm. um, that's how the plants are operating. And so um, if these plants had access to more carbon, chances are they would be better off. I can't say that that's going to completely stop the disease or yeah. or that the disease would have started, but um, chances are the plants would immediately be able to um, produce some degree of defense molecule against what's happening. Uh, I, I, you know, and that's just, that's a real basic, you know, there wasn't a lot of carbon management going on there. I saw and a little bit of cover crop in the one place, but there was a lot of, um, a lot of bare soils, a lot of herbicides, a lot of cultivation, a lot of carbon take being taken away from the plant. Yeah. And, 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 and how do you, how does carbon get taken out of the soil? I mean, I think a lot of people probably hear like, okay, carbon and carbon's the building block of life and, you know, carbon exists in the soil, or now we're talking about carbon not existing in the soil. It's like, how does carbon get taken out of the soil? That's like the big piece that has really been pivotal for me to understand. Yeah. I mean, so cultivation, uh, that's one way, you know, tillage, um, uh, just through up for, through lack of replenishment. Right. So like when a, when a plant drops its leaves, it's actually, it's actually putting all that carbon that it's accumulated from the year back into the soil. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to let go of a few bark, you know, pieces of twigs and so forth that, that nature shakes off of it. And hopefully those drop down there too. Um, you know, it's, it's created fruit and seeds, all those, you know, all that has all kinds of, you know, allopathic chemicals that are, you know, negative to other species and beneficial to their own. Mm -hmm. um, all of these are, are ways that the plant replenishes itself. And if we, you know, if we're constantly like taking the, taking the fruit away, mm -hmm. one, um, taking the leaves away, uh, cultivating the, you know, any other sort of species around the base of it and then not giving back, you know, I mean, I think eventually like, it's just like somebody comes to your house and they're going to take your beer. <laughs> they're going to, you know, right. they're going to take your, take your steak and they're, you know, and they're going to take your, you know, whatever else. Like, Sleep in your bed. Yeah. And then yeah, they're watching your TV. Yeah, exactly. And then they're in the shower. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. all of a sudden it's like, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> You'll think live friends here. Are, I don't think you're friends anymore, yeah. you know, at that point. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think it's, um, you know, what I've learned over the years is, is, you know, definitely like give and take with nature is, is a really key thing. And I didn't necessarily get that that was, um, you know, I'm sure that, that, it, that in that culture that that's a thing, but they're in a place where they're panicked now, it seems. Mm -hmm. And that degree of um, panic can, can lead to a lot of you know how it is when you when you get nervous, right? You screw things up. And I mean, we saw it, we saw it firsthand. You, you know, I mean, like I won't go into specifics of of what we experienced, but 
you know, an organic grower walked right up to you and said, if you tell me I have to use chemicals to stop this thing, I will use chemicals and I'll go back to organic after we've fixed this problem. I mean, they were willing to really just sort of shed all, all resistance. They're, they're right, just but looking I just, for I don't a think clue. that's the answer is to go back to chemicals or, you know, even genetics and things like that. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a matter of, you know, just going back to fundamentals of plant growth and what makes plants grow and how do we, how do we encourage a plant positive approach in, in each individual situation that we looked at, right? Cause we looked at, you know, this, you know, extremely small plot, like in, down to the individual tree. We looked at large plantations. We looked at moderate scale. Um, we looked at you know, old trees, young trees, mid-sized, mid-range trees, you know, anything from hundreds and hundreds of years old all the way to one-year-old tree, mm -hmm. yeah. 25, 50, 100, 500. You know, it's crazy, really, like the diversity. Um, but I would, I would anticipate that each one of those is experiencing a certain degree of stress. Yeah. That's brought on by a multitude of factors that's creating this this vulnerability. And so, you know, in my mind, you know, like the basics of 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 what they teach in you know in plant plant pathology and you know disease management is you have to have environmental conditions, the presence of the pathogen, and the susceptible host. Mm -hmm. If you only have two two or three two of those three, you won't. So we can't control the weather, mm -hmm. right? And we can't necessarily control, I mean, we can try to control the pathogen, but it just seems like it's going to just straight come back. Psyllids are not meant to be, <laughs> they're, they're very difficult and tricky to kind of kill with insecticides, mm -hmm. uh, even conventionally. They're, they've, they've proven very elusive and, and adept at, at, um, at managing <laughs> their ability to be killed. Yeah. They're, they're very resilient insect. And so if I respect the psyllid, right, then I have a much better chance of understanding how we can unlock this disease. Mm -hmm. So that was like one of the first things I thought about even walking in there is like, I have to have a tremendous amount of respect for this insect because this insect right now is, is, is the dominant species in this land. Yeah. It's, it's, cr it's crushing everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 It's crushing the politicians. Oh, I mean, it's just whooping ass. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure the, I'm sure the Pope's heard about this, <laughs> yeah, right. right? Like, you know, like every farmer's like, yeah. kill the psyllids. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody's cheering like, for this. Nobody's cheering for it. Nobody's cheering for it. Right. It's so, right. so that's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting dynamic. Um, but you know, back to the susceptible hosts, this is the one thing that we can control. Mm -hmm. And, and so this has always been pivotal, pivotal at apical of, of how we approach these types of situations is, okay, we can't control the weather unless you're going to put it in a greenhouse and do all the other stuff. Right. But chances are not. So, but what we can do is try to control the, the, the pathways of susceptibility, right? right? And so this always circles back to everything that we've worked on together. You know, the carbon as a base molecule for, for plant defense systems, the silicon as fort fortification for, um, uh, for, for the plant's cell wall strength and so forth, uh, calcium to build new cells, um, aluminum detoxification as a pathway to, um, uh, you know, essentially getting the, getting the, taking out the trash of that right. may be in the plant and maybe causing um, mis malformations of, of plant organs. Um, uh, uh, phosphorus as, as just like your key key to unlocking the energy of that, of that plant's own DNA. Mm -hmm. And so if you kind of hit on each one of the, and then I guess the last one would be, you know, saline, you know, salt and the, and the, and it's two heads of the coin. So the, the intake of salt, i.e. in the form of sodium, and then the excretion of salt in the form of chloride. And, and as those two interplay with all the rest of those pieces, you've got a very um, strong foundation for management of plant stress sim symptoms if you, if you look at those, those key variables there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, we really try, and you know this, like, we, we try to manage those pieces because we can manage them. Right. And we can measure them. And we can quantify them, where they are in the plant, how much are they impinging upon the plant, are they soluble in the soil, are they about to become soluble in the soil, all those situations, we, we can identify those. And so, so if we can, you know, neutralize those toxicities first and foremost and, and, and cut the plant's own susceptibility, meanwhile, we've, we've give, it, give it some form of carbon that it can access, all of a sudden we've changed the equation. Right. And, and that equation then is, well, now we're on the, you know, instead of being on, on, on the defensive, we're on the attack. 
right? We're fortifying our defenses. We're, you know, we're sinking, we're sinking money into the black budget, right? We're sinking money into, you know, into the front lines, right? We're fortifying, you know, we're, we're building, you know, we're building walls literally um, within the plant. And so, so if, but if we're not doing that, right. And maybe we're fertilizing willy nilly and we don't know what we're putting out. Mm -hmm. We could be unknowingly inducing susceptibility. Mm -hmm. This is like the this is the hardest part for people to really grasp, I think, because like it's okay. I think people can really grasp like that we're um that we can fortify susceptibility. Like that's that's a key key component. But the, can we stop inducing susceptibility? That's that's a harder right. one for for people to to really first of all come to terms with and second of all implement. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're of the generation where there's a uh there's a solution, there's a pill, there's a chemical, there's a substance that will stop this thing from happening. I mean, we've really become like a generation on the face of the planet right now that's looking for the silver bullet all the time. And what I noticed when we were there is, you know, and just through very, very casual conversation and not getting into debt into depth on anything, all of the people that have come to Puglia to find a solution for the problem are looking at trying to kill Xylella mm -hmm. and control the psylla. They're using yeah. chemicals to try and eradicate the pathogen and eradicate the vector or the insect that is piercing the leaf and, and trans, transmitting Xylella. But nobody was talking about, are these plants under stress or are they strong or weak? And one of the big parts of the story that I really thought was compelling is you know, when Melissa was translating that, look, the olive trees have always just given. They've always given. For 3,000 years, those trees have given fruit every year. And when we were talking with Maria, the researcher, she said, listen, people have never had to do anything to these trees to get them to give. And so now telling them that they need to do something to these trees to get them to give is a challenging proposition. But they're also, we're also watched all of the olives are dying. The economy's dying. The culture is dying around these trees. And so it's like, there does have to be a broad shift to the mentality. And I would think that it could come with results and success. And that was where, you know, going back to the grafting methodology, well, the Lachino variety is supposed to be highly resistant. And there were Lachino trees that were 20, 30 years old or Lachino grafts that were, you know, five years old that were showing Xylella infection. Oh, you saw that. Right? Okay, when I, I, didn't saw, I mean, that I saw piece. it. I saw talking <laughs> with people that said this is yeah. supposed to be more than 20 times resistant. Oh, yeah. But if it, but one of the things is they said, if, if, if we don't water these, uh, you know, throughout the year, uh, they show massive increase in susceptibility and the Xylella spreads, even the, in the Lachino quote unquote resistant variety. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, lack of water and all of these groves are not being irrigated over the course of the season. They've never had to do that. Uh, and that causes susceptibility or increased plant stress in this resistant right. variety that makes it susceptible. And none of the olives are being irrigated. So like the solution can't be irrigation because it's not like you just manifest clean yeah. water out of thin air. Right. So like, you know, we were seeing just these like thematics of, okay, so you have a susceptible variety, which is the majority of the olives in Puglia are the same variety of olive. They're under hydraulic stress as the world is getting warmer and less rainfall is falling and that, and the moisture, frankly, is not as pure. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about it is 10 years ago when Xylella started in the southern tip of Puglia, they implemented this mandate to till the cover crops and till up to the base of every single tree, not just once a year, but twice a year to try and destroy the habitat for the psyllid. And in doing so, you know, this is why I asked you about the carbon degradation because the tillage, we saw the roots, the, the fine roots that take in water mm -hmm. and nutrients were destroyed yeah. through the tillage. And this right. is happening twice a year on a continuum for the past 10 years, which it's like what unlocks this sudden susceptibility the perpetuation of bad practices that unknowingly and unintentionally have continued to weaken the plant. But yeah. then to your point, mechanical weathering of the soil, you're right. saying, where does the carbon go? Okay, well, maybe it's been used, but for three, there's, it's not possible that across one-year-old, five-year-old, 50-year-old, 200-year-old, and 2,000-year-old, that you're seeing the same timing mechanism for susceptibility activated, mm -hmm. right? Because 
if the olives used all the soil nutrition over 2,000 years, makes total sense. But if you're seeing it across every age of olive, it doesn't make sense that suddenly that we've hit in the past 10 years on a crop that's been cultivated for close to 3,000 years, just in the past 10 years, we hit the expiration point. That, that is, that's not a reality, right? Yeah. I mean, there has something to be, is being, something yeah, is going wrong. There that's has, the point. Yeah. There has to be more to the story. And ultimately though, like you said, I think a cultural shift is what's needed. And, and I think this is not though isolated to this region. I do feel that globally, it's a global shift in agronomy, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a plant positive approach versus a past negative approach just seems to be to the one degree or another more, um, more universal right now, um, more universally uh, accepted by the plant kingdom. Um, I, I see a lot of, okay, so like, okay, well, somebody might say, well, that's a, you know, that's a bold statement or that that's controversial, but I would say like, okay, well, you know, what about resistant weeds, right? You have weeds that are resistant to, to certain herbicides. You have a huge amount of conventional chemistries that aren't viable anymore unless they're enhanced somehow. You have the rates of those chemicals that have gone up over the years in certain cases. You have the, you know, a lot of EPA type regulations and MRL type regulations of, you know, organizations saying, hey, yeah, this is too much of, of X, Y, or Z pesticide. You know, we have species die off in terms of like extinction level events and things. And, and, and it's like, yeah, okay, well, conventional nitrogen is a really powerful thing and it's allowed a lot of a lot of agriculture to flourish similarly to insecticides and herbicides like there's no denying that it has allowed our species to multiply tremendously but at what cost mm -hmm. to at what cost to the plant kingdom and i think it's really it's unknowable but what i see generally is that when plants are given what they need to succeed like the rest kind of like takes care of itself mm -hmm. and you, you know it's not going to be 100 perfect 100 of the time but it's it's just a lot more likely that you're going to be successful if you take a plant positive approach than if you just try to go out there and kill. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you can try to kill all the psyllids or you can try to reduce their habitat. They're still going to be there. And all it takes is one to get through or one to hitchhike on a car that's going from the south of Italy to the north of totally. Italy. Totally. And the next thing, next thing you know. And, and so if we've tried, you, you know, how many, you know, past negative approaches, you know, how many plant positive approaches have been truly, truly tried that were, that were zero, that were, that were aggressive, scientifically sound data driven, you know, with, with a multi-pronged approach that were as motivated as the chemical and mechanical methodology that's been applied for the past 10 years, because that's the whole thing that I started observing is like, Dude, if you're tilling every single one, which they are, they're mandated to till every single one of those groves, right? We saw one with cover crop on it. Mm -hmm. We saw a lot that had like cover crop seeding that they were like, yeah, clearly like trying. Yeah, that was to. one of the things that they did seem to pick up on. Like, huh? Why don't we plant an antagonistic cover crop? Right. Which you know, but yeah. like if you're tilling twice a year to add carbon to the soil, seems like a lower lift than tilling that entire place to me. And I yeah. might, I might be, I might be ignorant for in sure. That. But I mean, it's not, it's not a fall. It's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a far leap if you're going to go out and spend money on tillage to put, you know, a, a seed drill on behind it and drill in whatever you know an antagonistic cover crop for that species might be. I think we threw out a few. That's what I'm saying. Or just if you're gonna, if you're gonna go till, then right. part of your tillage is mm -hmm. tilling in carbon and depositing a cover crop on the top that's antagonistic to the psyllid like you've proposed mm -hmm. and you even proposed species that the agronomists we were meeting with were like that we haven't thought about that that's that would do well here and it was like boom 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 you could see the fact that we were with the leading researcher on xylella and some of the leading agronomists in the region and they were like nobody's ever offered what you're proposing i i thought that was both <laughs> i thought that was both you know and i think it's illustrative I thought that was both sad and also really uh, optimistic because it's right. like, that's too bad. We've kind of lost our way as an organism on earth in how we cultivate our food source. Like, and it's undeniable that the production of manufactured nitrogen has boosted, 
you know, uh, the ability to supply food to an increasing population and herbicides and pesticides have given us the ability to farm and control things to be able to meet the needs at that scale. But also in 60 years, we've degraded the carbon content in the soil of some of the most fertile lands on earth to a point where xylella and Puglia is just another metaphor for wheat farming issues, for uh, grape issues, for citrus issues, for you name it, potato issues. It's it's a there's a universal thing happening across the globe, which is there's a big problem, right? Mm-hmm. And the mechanical loss of carbon in the soil is one, but the addition of nitrogen that throws off that carbon nitrogen ratio with that Bingo. chemical nitrogen is like a yeah, big one, yeah. and we stumbled yeah, yeah. across. Right, and, and and we learned that the way that the olives have been encouraged to produce is right. through heavy, heavy manufactured nitrogen fertilizers, which I think those are even being applied. And I can't say this for sure. And this is me. This is not David now saying this in any way. My observation is I believe potentially that those nitrogen fertilizers are even being applied on the biological or, or on the organic uh, crops. Mm. I don't know that that's taking place. Yeah, but it was very just my observations. That's too bad. People cheat on organic sometimes. Well, but just yeah. my observations of the supposedly organic groves finding bags of ammonium sulfate right. was not encouraging huh. that they were abiding by the organic. Well, you, you know, you, you touched on a key point that I want to circle back to, and that's um, that's the the carbon and nitrogen ratio. Um, within the plant and and how that's being or you know either the plant the soil or how that's being fed to the plant through fertilizers and or disrupted um, because I, th- I do believe that that's a key piece right and we've talked about this at length over the last couple of years is that if nitrogen is going out without carbon the chance for the plant to uptake the carbon that it needs is is much much uh, much more decreased. And so if, you know, and I don't know this is the case, I don't really know how they're fertilized. I kind of, you know, I, at the end of the day, I kind of started picking picking the, the agronomist brain about a little bit of that, and they kind of mentioned a few things. But ultimately, if you, if you take a step back and you say, what are you trying to produce with olives? We're trying to produce oil, mm-hmm. right? And these, these trees are being grown for olive oil, and that's a big clue, right? We're trying to, to you know, what is oil? It's carbon, hydrocarbon right? There's a lot of carbon in oils. And if the plant is having its ability to produce those oils short-circuited or disrupted, or the the, the food source to produce those oils is, is basically being stripped from its capabilities or thrown out of balance in one way, shape, or form um, and not replenished, that I think is probably a key layer um, in what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's like its whole reason for existence is to produce oils and access carbon and to put it into those olives for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And if we're taking that away from the tree, from mm-hmm. the tree's perspective, it's like, I could see how that would be uh, disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so, you know, I think what what everybody wants to know, you, you know, and I think even the agronomists and I think the researchers, I, I think what everybody wanted to know is like, okay, so you came and you had this different perspective of what's happening in Puglia. And, and, and I just want to say, I was tremendously encouraged, number one, by you being willing to go, because that was a big ask and, and I really appreciated well, it. Well, I mean, you know, somebody else should have been there already, I sure. suppose, but totally, you know, it is what it is. But they weren't and yeah. we went and, yeah, and no, that was I mean, It was a great opportunity to just, I've never been to Italy. It was, it was just sounded like a good adventure. I had a, had a week I could pull it off. It, it yeah. was, yeah, really lucky. Cool. So yeah, I mean, thanks for the invite. By yeah, the way. but I mean, but that was fantastic. And the and the other encouraging thing is once we got you there, you know, I had had time to really scour the peninsula, and I took you to sort of every stage of the pathogen, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we even stumbled across just sort of randomly uh, some really, really, really old olives that were barely still alive. And I took a lot of confidence and I'm not going to hold you to it, but I took a lot of confidence that you said, look, if this was in my backyard, I think I could bring this tree back. Absolutely. You know, if you had total control, if you had the ability to use your technology to test, if you had access to your arsenal Mm -hmm. of, of, uh, you know, treatments, you feel like you could bring something back that 
for all intensive purposes, if you looked at it, is dead, right? It yeah, is but we've dead. seen that before. I mean, we've seen it hundreds of times across, you know, so many species that it's that I, it's dizzying to count. But I don't think people understand the power of what you're yeah, proposing, and I don't I think the researchers there because. I've seen the images of the citrus groves that look dead. Mm-hmm. I've seen what they what happens when you guys have your full arsenal yeah. and capacity to test and I, and what you can change. And so like when I started seeing these scenarios and you're sort of equating this to having a relationship to citrus greening just in terms of behavior characteristics, uh, vector, et cetera, and you're saying, I, I think we could bring this back. It's like, okay, so there there really is hope for the Pouli and Olives. I mean, and I don't know, I'm saying that from my perspective, not knowing what you know, but I got the impression you felt like there was hope. I think the treatment would have, the aggressiveness of the treatment would have to match the aggressiveness of the problem. Mm-hmm. In other words, you, it, it's possible there's a tremendous toolkit at everybody's disposal now that we've, you know, us and others around the world have discovered in terms of regenerative agriculture toolkit, broadly speaking. There's, there's, I mean, tremendous technologies as, as well as the analysis protocols that, that us and a handful of others around the, around the globe do. Um, and when you combine those two things together, there's, there's really a whole new paradigm and this is kind of what we we talk about right. at Apico. It's the right. new paradigm of, of crop nutrition because new things have come to light in the last, you know, 20 years that that do change the game. And so, you know, back to your point about like, is there hope? It's like, yeah, it, okay. So if you put one of those trees at my house or put me over there for a month or two months or three months or something like that, and I can almost guarantee you within a matter of weeks, there would be new shoots pushing out and, and so forth with those types of treatments. Because again, like you said, they're constantly going in another direction. We would literally take a hundred, take a 180 degree turn and go as fast as we could in the other direction mm-hmm. um, with plant positive approaches, trunk sprays, soil microbial adjustments, uh, carbon, carbon treatments to the soil and detoxification protocols, um, you know, analysis protocols that, that drive all this. Um, that would be the approach. That's kind of what we, you know, talked to the, the, the folks that we met with Maria and, and our team there. Uh, and so I think there's, there's potential. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. But I do think that, you know, like you said, nobody's tried all these things, mm-hmm. right? Nobody's tried to really get into the mind of the psyllid and think, how do we cut off that psyllid's food source? What is that psyllid feeding on? Right? Like nobody's really, maybe they, maybe they think about it. But that's one of the first things I thought of. Well, is I like, mean, they, 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 they till up the cover crops, so yeah, they're trying to sure, decrease sure. its well, habitat, yeah, right, right? I suppose, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But, it, but it, you know, inside the, inside the, the trees, the mm-hmm. psyllids yeah, are feeding on something inside right. the trees. And so, you know, if we're testing dry matter tissue versus a testing a, a, a wet leaf, you know, for, for the leaf sap, that's a completely different test. And so, you know, I, I asked them about that a little bit and they've done some, it sounds like, but it didn't. They were drying it and grinding it and that's, yeah. giving, that's giving you a different result, right? Yeah, but, and then a lot of the sap extraction that they were doing, they were testing just for biology, uh-huh. um, which I think, you know, is absolutely like they have to do that for the situ- in the situation they're in. But if they're not testing for the mineralogy that drives the biology, that's, that's the key layer there that I think is um, perhaps um, maybe not drilled down on yeah. enough by, the, by that team. Um, which is the first thing absolutely that we would have to do is literally get in there, test leaves, understand what that, what the, what's happening. That's, you know, that's showing, you know, test the plant at various stages of decline so that we can understand, um, you know, is there a correlation mineral from a mineral perspective, um, to what's driving that susceptibility. Yeah, and it's such a complexity. I mean, when you think about the 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 hoops that you need to jump through to get your toolkit to Italy, right, to be able to get the treatment, even the treatment there, or to get the samples back here that allow you to have that that lab analysis that gives you accuracy yeah, sure. in your assumptions. But but like, I don't know. I mean, there's you know, again, like I said, it's the the you have to match the aggressiveness of the treatment with with what the the aggressiveness of the pathogen. I mean. So I'm I'm just gonna take what you're saying as there is hope for the there there is hope for the Pouillon olive absolutely right like yeah. if 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 the the people of the Pouillon region um, saw positive results happening from this different methodology 
Just the worst trees. Let's take them. The worst trees. <laughs> Try the worst da- trees. David, David rolled into Italy and he said, give me the worst possible trees and I want to treat them and I think I can probably change them dramatically. And the <laughs> all the agronomists looked at you like, what? You want? I mean, that was really, I, th- I felt like that was when they How many took leaves you were on the junipers down there when, when I, the first time I came? No, nah, I know. Right? Yeah, so, it was bad. It was yeah. Bad. It, it was right. bad. I, I, I mean, I get it. So, so you know, imagine going... You know, I have pictures on my phone that I've showed you from other clients that we've worked with up and down the coast. You know, cherries, almonds, walnuts, hazelnuts, blueberries. You know, they'll put off some crazy disease or have some insane susceptibility to an insect um, or just not grow Mm -hmm. or just push out leaves that are super twisted and, and completely infested. And within, you know, three, four weeks, all of a sudden, those plants are, are are moving right along. They're pushing out new growth. Their growers are shooting photos at us saying, it's not perfect, but holy cow, things have really started to move in the positive direction. And, and then there is that hope that they can really grasp, right? From there, that then, you know, that's when they're, they've they've tasted the new paradigm of crop nutrition and what it's capable of doing. Right. Um, um, because that's, in our mind, like it's, we haven't seen we haven't seen the end of it. We don't know where it fails. It only fails at implementation, right? It's it's like nature is a tremendous, nature is the technology, right? Mm-hmm. It's the ultimate technology. And we're, we're just um, pawns in that, in that, in that game. And so if we, if we recognize that instead of thinking that we're, you know, in a much, you know, bigger position than we really are, uh, then I think, you know, there's, it, the, it reframes the goal from, you know, some big war to, you know, like let's create a civilization within this in this individual ecosystem. Yeah, and like that's the highest form of of this art, right? Like there's guys out there that that literally go out, um, you know, with permaculture techniques and so forth that build up ecosystems from scratch in certain, you know, desert locations. Alan Savory being a you know a guy that comes to mind and things like that. So yeah. you, you see know, them do that in the rainforest when they're totally when they're re re re, re uh re not rehabituating but reclaiming the, the yeah you know, grazed lands and deforested lands. And they start by chopping and dropping to build up organic matter and carbon content. And then suddenly they can sustain trees and then groundwater comes back and then animals come back. And it's like this, it's almost like this utopic thought, but like people are doing this on large scale right now in the world. And also on micro scale at the cellular level, intracellular level inside the plant. Right. Like that's, you know, from, from our perspective, you know, I've been saying for years that smaller is better in ag. Right. And, and, and in a way it's, you know, hundred percent wrong, but in another way it is, you know, sort of correct. Like if we're focused at the cellular level and repairing that plant's ability to create new cells, um, that's just a totally different approach. Like you, like you're saying mm-hmm. than, than what most people are thinking. Um, and so, you know, apply that across a grander scale. Well, okay, you're going to, you're going to invest all this money in trying to, you know, strip till twice a year to, to decrease habitat. Okay. Well, add a step, mm-hmm. right? Well, maybe add another step. Why don't you inoculate those, you know, those species that you're, that you're putting out with, with beneficial mycorrhizae that think that can then link up with the tree, right? Well, why don't you take it another step further, put, you know, some sort of a, a slurry of a biostimulant on that, right? Okay, well, what if you're going to go and, um, uh, you know, prune out all the dead wood in, a, in, a, in an orchard that's infested? Like that was one of the things that we talked a lot about. Well, you know, a basic good solid plant physiologist nowadays should understand that every single one of those pruning wounds has to be healed with calcium. So if you don't take calcium and, and move that into p- part of your pruning protocol, you're creating more susceptibility and more susceptibility, mm-hmm. right? So, so, you know, this framework of, of thought, it's the framework of how that plays into applications and the, the, you know, embracing those is really what it would take ultimately to, to, to show difference. And, you know, I'm happy, like we said, to, you know, show it on one single tree or, you know, take the worst tree that people can't, can't really imagine and apply, you know, some deep, you know, deep soil modification, you know, trunk sprays, you know, certain types of the, the protocols that we've, that we've discussed and implemented in the past. And, and I mean, I would be astounded if it didn't show response relatively quickly because mm-hmm. it typically does. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've seen it at my house, you know, various types of trees, like it's, 
you know, I, I mean, literally like I have this one cherry tree and it still, it still needs some work, but it got uh, a couple years ago in the ice storm, it, got, it had its whole, you know, branch, like this massive like branch, like came, you know, came down and it snapped the tree and split the bark clear all the way down to the, the base of the base of the tree. And the tree was like looking like it was going to die. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been drenching it a little bit here and they're totally not enough. And, um, and it's now got this whole burl sort of like, you know, growing out around the wound and, you know, it's got this, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's basically healed its own wound. It's got this, you know, maybe a, you know, two inch, uh, you know, two inch branch coming out from where that wound was. Mm. And you're talking about like, I mean, a full, you know, basically split the tree right down the middle. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, so plants are incredible things, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, this, like we've talked about this before, like they will do insane things just on their own let alone if you start to work with them in right. a cooperative manner. And I think that's ultimately perhaps what's, you know, missing like from us as a species, like we approach plants agriculturally or forestry or whatever, like we're going to take, what if it's a two-way street? Yeah. You know? It's gotta be a two-way street. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm super optimistic about Puglia. I think, you know, you, you can always sort of, it's very easy to sit back and fantasize about, Puglia being a region, because it's so isolated, it is a manageable landmass compared to the other swaths of land. You say, take, for example, Florida and the citrus greening issue widespread across the peninsula of Florida, a little bit different setup, similar problem in Puglia. If you could get a total buy-in, it literally could become the poster child for regenerative agriculture changing the direction that the general world is headed right now, right? And I know that's, yeah. you know, to implement- I just want to save one tree. I know, I know. But but but, but I want to save all the trees sure, because sure. to lose a 3,000-year-old olive tree, that carries with it the culture and the history. Oh, yeah. And, no, you, I mean, you the know, more the and, merrier. But, as well as the livelihood and right. the identity. And what we learned, you know, the connections of the olives to the culture in Puglia is, is it is a pivotal central, it's an apex component oh, yeah. of that culture. And and they're all dying. All of them are going to die if mm-hmm. something's not done. And something, right. but, but you're dealing with this not just in the Puglian olives. This is something that you're seeing on a daily basis. Yeah, there's a lot of different crops out there that are having, you know, significant issues. And, and certain bioregions, they then it becomes not able to cultivate anymore. I mean, just look at, you know, whether, whether it's from, you know, economic perspective or from a disease or an insect or just general stress and, and viability. Um, you know, the, our region here, like, we used to grow way more strawberries, cucumbers, Apples, cherries, peaches, I mean, you name it. All all these types of crops used to be grown in the Willamette Valley um, and Tualatin Valley, et cetera, around, you know, um, uh, northwest Oregon. And a lot of them are, I mean, you know, there's still little pockets here and there, but it's on the scale, pff, it's nothing like it used to be. Really? And and so, yeah, I mean, when I talk to old farmers, it's like, oh, yeah, every, you know, ever since the 90s and things like that, things have really, really accelerated. Um, 90s, the, ever since the 90s, disease and pest issues have no, accelerated or no what? that was more the labor cost i think when they those really started to skyrocket with nasta or nafta and things like that free uh-huh. trade and some of the um uh, uh those agreements and a lot of production went overseas or or down south so i think that's a big that's a huge piece there so now you now you're you're saying your overseas component of your business is really expanding rapidly you're being called overseas more and more which is interesting that it coincides with you know, and I think there's that's not a coincidence that you're going to other places as as a, somebody who has a different approach than a chemical methodology to see if you can correct or fix what's happening in these other places. We outsource them. The right. same the same agronomical practices are being applied, maybe even worse because they're in a right. third world with less monitoring, right? right. right? And suddenly <laughs> they're in a similar position where shit stopped growing. The food content, nutrient value, chemical content is, you know, skyrocketing. Nutrient value is plummeting. Production costs are growing. Output is shrinking. And, like, the whole system is collapsing. And the Central Valley of California is, like, the best illustration of this. It's like a contained study of how not to handle a landmass. Yeah, that's – I mean, I do do get concerned about the ability of, uh, you know, of California and – as a center of production for the U S to, to go through something similar like that we're seeing here. 
um, because there's there's big problems down there. There's no doubt about it. We have we have definitely some growers that we work with in that region and agronomists, and you know they're facing significant challenges down there. Um, I don't think it's quite to the level yet of what's happening in 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 Italy, but uh, certainly it could be there. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's potential anytime that you know soil depletion and chemical buildup and aquifer depletion and chemical concentration like. You know, you, you add all these things together. There's only so much genetics can take, and then, you know, what happens? Well, then we try to modify the genetics. Well, you know, shouldn't we just maybe think about like how do we grow a better plant? It's like the most like, complex. It's like we we've gotten so myopic that yeah. like that, and that's what I was looking at as the as the microbiologists are looking at the xylella issue on a on a microbiological I'm just level. I'm trying to grow the best plant And I it's can. like, it's yeah. like, hey. <laughs> right, right. You keep going deeper and deeper and getting more and more narrow in your thought process of yeah. how to, and now it's mutating and what are the epigenetics of the pathogen and what are the epigenetics of the trees that are showing resistance. what about the olive? And, and it's right? like, hey. Like, where's the olive and all this? How about you just stop throwing that shit on the soil, quit tilling it, use a little bit of a different cover crop, add some carbon, you know, like, just like and and it's easy why don't we just try to grow the best olive we can it's easy for me to say though because i've already seen the change right like i've experienced it i was i was in a bad way and you came in and i didn't trust you i didn't trust anybody nobody does but that's okay yeah totally right (laughs) because you're called when shit's going totally wrong you're the you're the red button and and then I saw it change, and I'm like, oh shit, this could be extrapolated. And I know you work on a grand agronomical scale, but like the Poulian project felt like, no, it's ma- grand enough. This, this is pretty grand. <laughs> it's and a worthy like, challenge, you know. Over there and, for and, sure. and 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 yeah. I've talked with you about the giant sequoia cone crop issue, you know, and and the redwood aluminum problem, and like, you know, there's people out there that are trying to harvest these genetics to preserve these three thousand year old, and it's just like, but that's not. That's great. Oh I, yeah, I, let's I think just that's, put in. A, let's put a three thousand year old, and you know we can clone it into a bonsai. Like great. Like that's that's awesome. That's like I, I mean, I, totally I want awesome. one in my house. You yeah, know? for sure. Three thousand years ago, they weren't adapted to what they're being confronted with now, and and plants can't adapt as rapidly as they need to through their offspring to be able to adjust to current conditions, right? Which is where you're seeing all of these native forests shrinking, and you're talking about a, a, a potential mass extinction of flora and you're also watching the oldest trees being the ones that suffer the most with that lack of malleability and elasticity inside inside of the internal well, they're like structure. the elders right they're like grandparents and so forth totally you know and like how you know they're they're the most susceptible to covid right or yeah. or the you know a, a plant disease equivalent and right. and uh, if we didn't learn enough from what we went through, you know, three years ago as a, as a collective, right. There's, there's ways that we can fortify our own immune system to become stronger beings. Mm -hmm. If we approach that and use that as our guiding principle, yeah, like maybe we've got to take, take a, you know, a, um, a pill or a this or a that at some point. Yeah. Right. But we can't completely forget about how we how will we grow the best olive we can. Mm-hmm. Like that's got to be in the in the equation somewhere somehow. Right. You have to take when everything else is lost. Right. Well, how do we how do we get back to straight horticulture and plant you know plant propagation and, and plant pathology and you know just just general crop science as as a as a broad understanding like okay. Let's let's just forget everything we've learned because ever, it's obviously not working, and start from scratch. Like, how do we create what the what the plant would want in nature? Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think I think I've shared with you before our ten principles of nature um, as a, as a guiding principles for for these types of situations to diagnose where toxins are coming from and lodging within the plant, coordinating that with comparison sampling of new leaf and old leaf for deep soil and shallow soil, etc. Mm-hmm. You know. S- when you take that and you translate it into a scientific protocol, you've got a way back to nature through science. Mm-hmm. And that's really like what we're trying to do at Apical. Like I didn't necessarily like make that the intention originally, but it has basically become what Apical is today is leading people back to nature through science and saying, look, 
we thought we knew everything. We thought we were going to just go and put out 180 units of nitrogen on a bonsai or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. per acre, right? And and but you know, in fact, we needed 18, right? We needed you know a tenth of the of the right amount. But what we what we really needed was soil aeration, and we needed root strength, and we needed root penetration into those micropores of the soil to be able to access micronutrients. And then once they were there, they needed to uh, absorb silicon and calcium, not not their opposite counterparts, sodium and aluminum, yeah. that we were feeding and filling the micropore space of the soil with. Like, or that's magnesium what they had. and potassium or, yeah, or yeah. sodium or yeah. any of the others. And yeah. so, that's, so, so that's really what we, what we needed. And so... So taking, you know, taking people back to nature through that scientific process, making it methodical and making people understand why that's important, I think is, you know, um, I mean, if I'm to be able to provide any hope, it's not me, right? It's like, we've been given this toolkit that's tremendous through science and, and a lot of effort. Um, and, and it's up to us to use it properly. And if we use it out of harmony with nature, like that's, that does nobody any good, but in harmony with nature, like the, the potentials are really infinite. And that's when, that's why when people say like, well, can you fix a tree or this tree or that tree, or can you do this? It's like nature's potential is infinite. Can we tap into it infinitely? No, but can we tap into it significantly more than you're doing in this particular case? A hundred percent, yeah, maybe 800% or a thousand percent. Cause you haven't tried eight or 10 things that might give you you know, a, a significant boost, right? And if we stack all those on top of one another, next thing you know, you've got an exponential. And and so this shift in philosophy and bringing that to the table was my whole intention in going over there. Like, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen it all, right? That was my first thing I'd probably said out of my mouth. Like, I'm sure you've heard it all, heard this all before. And, and then, you know, ended with like, okay, well, you know, let's take your best, you know, your worst trees and see if we can make them better. Yeah.